morning, I want us to continue with our study of Christ of the book. And we did get finished with uh, Exodus last week, and I'm going to come back and, and we're going to take a look at, at Exodus again this morning. We're going to bring up and, uh, the aspects of the tabernacle, because it's in the book of Exodus, where Moses receives the instructions to build the tabernacle. It's in the book of Exodus where Moses receives the law, the Ten Commandments, uh, in stone. And it's in the book of Exodus that we learn that, that the Lord is the great deliverer. Uh, he is the great I Am. In Exodus chapter 3, as you'll recall last week, God calls Moses to lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery there. He calls to him. Moses says, Lord, what is your name? Who do I tell the children of Israel you are? Who, who, what name do I give them? And the Lord told him, I am. I am that I am. Uh, that name reflecting the fact that he is eternal. That name reflecting the idea that he is self-existing. Uh, he is the great I am. And then through the rest of the Bible, uh, our Lord goes on to show himself to be, uh, I am your deliverer. I am your healer. I am your uh, peace. And all, all the different names of Jehovah we have throughout the, throughout the, the scripture. Goes on to say, He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the living water. And that is the God that we serve. And that is how He's presented Himself to us in Scripture down through the years. Uh, the bottom line, really, and I hope this morning uh, you embrace the statement, is that He is your everything. He is your everything. You realize that you owe him everything. And that your eternal existence in heaven is based on what he was willing to accomplish for you on the cross. This morning, turn to Exodus chapter 25. We could spend several more Sundays just on the book of Exodus. Because we're not going to do this book justice in the amount of time that we're going to going to spend here, uh, but we're going to try to hit some of the highlights uh, as we see Christ of the book. In chapter 24, where the covenant is ratified between God and between the children of Israel. It's in chapter 24 where they say, yes, God, we will be your people. And they basically sign that covenant. They agree, they enter that sign, but they enter into that agreement through the blood. Through the blood. There's a sacrifice given, and God says, will you? And they said, we will. So they enter into this covenant. When they enter into that covenant, chapter 25 is where God gives Moses the direction on how to build the tabernacle. Look at Exodus chapter 25. Start with verse 8. 1 through 7 is God telling them to bring your willing gifts 
And he, he, he tells them to bring your gold and your, sir, your silver and your bronze and your uh, beautiful cloth and all the different things he tells the children of Israel to bring for the making of this, this tabernacle. And the important point there is that God says, I want the people to give willingly. I want them to give willingly. And if you remember, it's God caused the children of Israel to find favor with the Egyptians. When God finally led them out of Egypt, the Egyptians were so ready to get rid of them because of the, the ten plagues that they gave them silver, they gave them gold, they gave them fine tapestry, they gave them all of that stuff. Because God put it in their heart to do. But they, they blessed Israel, so they had all of this ready to put together in order that they might worship God. Verse 8 is where I want us to start. Verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now I hope as I read this, the bells and whistles go off. That you think, oh, that's the Lord Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 1, right? That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, Tim. John 1.14 And the Word was made flesh and what? Dwelt among us. But the Greek for dwelt is the same word for tabernacle. And tabernacle among us. And we beheld His glory. Well, what we're going to see in this tabernacle is tremendous glory. As a matter of fact, the very last turn to the last chapter in Exodus, chapter 40. Look at verse 38. Exodus 40, verse 38. And the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle that day. The fire was on it by night, and in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Verse 34 is what I'm looking for. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Christ Jesus is God in the flesh. God incarnate. This tabernacle was a type of our Lord. We beheld His glory. The children of Israel beheld this glory. And it fails in comparison to the glory that we're going to see in, in, in heaven. But let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That every instrument, every aspect of this tabernacle is going to be a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that I forgot to see in Tim was a, a picture of the tabernacle. I have it in my phone if that's any comfort to you. I see a bunch of other pictures I'm going to show you in a second. So you're going to take my word for it, except maybe next week I'll show it to you just so you know I'm really kidding. But the, the tabernacle is designed where you have the, the Holy of Holies and the Holy of Holies, you have uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and then you move down just a little bit, and you're going to uh, have 
the table of showbread, you're going to have incense, uh, you, you, you're going to have different things inside the holy, the holy of holies, then the holy place, then you come out, and you're going to have the, 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 the laver, uh, the wash basin, and then you're going to have the bronze altar. So that is shaped like a cross. Now, I'm sure the little bit don't know that they're putting it together, but we know it. So next week, Tim, pictures coming, we'll show it. As a matter of fact, how the children of Israel, how God designs them to surround the tabernacle with a tabernacle in the middle. And you do have to kind of use your imagination, but we all have good imaginations. And I, and I think this was God's intent, is the way the tribes surround the tabernacle are also shaped like a cross. Again, they didn't understand that, but we do, looking back. And so our reaction should be, wow, what an amazing God we serve. Way back then, he wanted to make sure we didn't miss the type. That we didn't miss, understand what it is that he's doing here. So even the tabernacle represents the cross. The children of Israel surrounding the tabernacle when they're at rest represents the cross that our Lord was going to, to die on. But let them make me a sanctuary that I may tabernacle among them. Verse 9, according to all that I show thee, talking to Moses, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. Now what pattern is he talking about? We'll jump up or jump over to Hebrews. Look at Hebrews. Which verse? Or oh, Hebrews 8. I'm sorry. Hebrews 8. Look at Hebrews 8. Can't even read my own writing. Hebrews chapter 8. Start with verse 2. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. So the true tabernacle that the Lord pitched. Where did he pitch it? Pitched it in heaven. Verse 5 who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern show to thee in the mount. And then he talks about the more excellent ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what Moses is about to receive from the Lord is a pattern of the true tabernacle that is in heaven. And it has such a glorious person because it all reflects on our God incarnate who desires to know us, who desires to have a relationship with us, and who desires that we know Him. And because He desires that we know Him, look how He has described Himself as we study the tabernacle. Verse 10. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. 
And what's interesting as we go through this is you've got material that represents the divine and, rep and material that represents the human. You have the divine gold and silver and the precious stones that are in the, the priest's uh, garb. But you also have things that represent the human. That's the wood, the acacia wood, and the skins and all the different things that go in it representing the divine nature of Christ Jesus and the human nature of Christ Jesus. And the way God intermingles them throughout the tabernacle points to the Lord Jesus. It reflects on Him. Oh, there you go. Did I send that to you? Or did you find... You, but that, I was going to send that to you. Is that something else or what? Now do you believe me? Oh, uh, I, I just think that is a glorious picture of how based on the number of tribe members, based on where they were to camp, and they were to, get, they were to form themselves like that when they were at rest. Isn't that amazing? Do we serve an amazing God or what? Do we serve an, or not serve, but do we have an amazing guy that runs the board back there or what? Thank you, Tim. So here she'll make an ark of acacia wood, and he gives a description. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. So how big it's supposed to be, about 45 inches uh, long and, and about 27 inches uh, wide. And I think I sent you a picture of that, Tim. The Ark of the Covenant is like a trunk. There you go. It's like a trunk. Now, the top part with the cherubim and the, and the lid... That's the mercy seat. We're going to take that off in just a second. I think I sent him that picture. But what you have on top is the cherubim and the mercy seat. Below that is you have the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testament. Do you know what the Ark specifically was designed to be? A coffin. A coffin. And you know what it was designed to contain? The law. Do you think that God is not sending a message? It's shaped like a coffin. And in this Ark of the Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, they were to put the law. And, and they, they put the law, which does condemn, for the law is the knowledge of sin, what goes on top of that, as we're going to see, is the mercy seat. Ooh, don't tell me we don't have a God that doesn't think of everything. And shows us a glorious example of His intent to rescue, to save, to deliver His people. Every aspect of it points to the finished work of Christ. You have an ark that is a box and in that box, you hide away the law that basically was going to condemn. You know what else they put in the ark later on? We won't have time to get into that, but I'll tell you. 
they put Aaron's rod that blossomed as a sign of the resurrection and also manna from heaven that they would have as an example. So in the ark was a sign, was, was a, uh, contained the law, it contained leadership with a picture of the resurrection and it contained that which God preserved his people in the wilderness fed them with manna from heaven it was a thing of the manna and it went almost 40 years and didn't decay just the ark of the covenant with the mercy seat displays God's amazing love and his goodness and his grace and his mercy just by putting the law in this coffin putting the law in that box and then sealing it away it tells me that God loves us in an incredible fashion and they shall make an ark of acacia wood gives those and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold not just gold leaf but overlay it with pure gold. Talk about valuable. And within and without thou shalt overlay it, and thou shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. That crown of gold depicting the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof, and two rings shall be on one side, and two rings on the other side. That's so that they could stick the poles that are going to be pure gold, or going to, uh, the, the two poles that are going to be there, so that they can carry it, so not touch the Ark of the Covenant. Because if they touch the Ark of the Covenant, they were dead. So even those poles represented God's mercy as they carried this throughout the wilderness. Verse 13, And thou shalt make the staves of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. All representing the divine, because that's what the, the ark represented. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, and the ark may be born with them. And the staves shall be in the rings of the ark, and thou shalt not be taken from it. That's the only way they could pick it up. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. That's the law. Bore witness of God's righteous requirements. That's what the law is. You want to please God? Okay, here's my law. Do it. There's only one problem. Well, Pat and I can't. <laughs> Pat, he, he, he's agreeing. So they put it in an ark. But God wasn't finished with that. Look at verse 17. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Can you imagine the ark without the mercy seat? Just putting the law in a coffin and hiding it away, putting it away, 
that would still cause condemnation. But God wanted us to be able to approach Him so there was that mercy seat in the work that was going to go on within. And thou shalt make the mercy seat of pure gold. Two tablets and a half shall be the length thereof, or two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. So it was to fit over the top as a lid. And that is where the glory of God was going to be. As the glory of God came into the Holy of Holies and hovered over that mercy seat with the two cherubim. As you study the scriptures, and another great study is just the ministry of the cherubim, it's always connected to the earth. The cherubim are always connected to the earth in their ministry. You have the seraphim that are connected to the throne in heaven, but it's the cherubim, they're always connected to the earth. And here they're these angelic beings are connected to the tabernacle, connect, connected to the mercy seat. And thou shalt make the mercy seat of pure gold. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold. Of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. Uh, all of these things with pure gold, uh, like the, the two cherubim, and as we get into the, uh, the other furniture that goes in there they come they're all about beaten gold struck gold pounded gold representing the sacrifice you you didn't get these shapes just by taking some gold and it i mean god could have he, he could have said here this is my cherubim this is this this and this he wanted them to pound out the design as he had given them. And that pounding represents what the true God of heaven was going to endure on Calvary's cross. That's what that, that's what that represents. And here, these two cherubims, a, of beaten work shalt thou make them, in the two ends of the mercy seat. Tim, did I send you a picture? That, yeah, that's a picture. You see how the mercy seat is at the top with the two cherubim facing toward the center. And it just fit on like a, a lid over that. And contained within that again the law, the, the rod that budded, and the manna from heaven that preserved them. All is an indication of God's amazing love and grace and mercy. Verse 20, And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there, there I will meet with you, and I will commune with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testament, 
of all things which I give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Here is the ark. In the ark is the law. I am going to meet you above that over the mercy seat. Folks, that speaks volumes. Speaks volumes of God's intent. Well, what this is to be a picture, a picture of. And, and the other thing. When we look at the tabernacle uh, uh, scripturally in this fashion, the first thing we see is the ark in the Holy of Holies. And the next thing we're going to see is the furniture in the holy place. God describes it. God gives it to us from His presence outward. You know, usually when people start, they, they would have started with the gate, with the door, home, and coming into the court of the Gentiles, and then they'll come, and here's the brazen altar with the sacrifice, and then the, the laver where they washed, and, and then you go into the uh, holy place, and, and that's not the way God presented it. He started with Himself. He started with His offer with the ark, and then all the things from the inward to the outward. I'm not exactly sure how to describe that. I just know that thinking about that causes my heart to rejoice. Realizing that and reading and thinking about that just causes my heart to celebrate because I think it tells us something about who God is. And the good thing about it is who this church is, because I guarantee you I'll have about five different texts or email by the time I get home from many of you giving me your ideas on that. I love that. I, 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 think, that is, I think that's glorious. But I think it's wonderful that God did this. Verse 23, And that shalt make a table of acacia wood two cubits shall be the length thereof and a cubit the breadth thereof and a cubit and a half the height thereof and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold and make thereunto a crown of gold round about this table of showbread this table with the crown again representing Christ the king of kings and the lord of lords and thou shalt make into it a border and a handbreadth round about. And thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold. All of these are going to have ways that they can move it, store it, and only the priest can do that. A special way of moving it. Talk about precious, talk about important. So here is this table, this table of showbread. That's so important to the purpose of God. Twelve pieces of unleavened bread. There you, there you go. Each loaf of unleavened bread in the holy place. Not the holy of holies. We moved out of the holy of holies. We've, we've come through the veil. And, and we're not even going to have time to get into the veil. The one that was ripped at the crucifixion. 
But this veil with its colors and its symbolism and all, that, that veil that separated man from God, that veil that, that, that the priest, the high priest, only could go in and, and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat as re, was required. No one else could go beyond that veil. That veil separated God from man. Except the cross changed that, right? And we don't even have time to get into that, but that's, that's glory. that deserves a sermon all its own. And so here's this table of showbread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. That was significant, 12 loaves. But also it is demonstrative of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. They understood, or they should have, unfortunately they didn't, the symbolism. So that when Christ says, I am the bread of life, they should have picked up on that. They should have said, he, He's our Messiah. He is. It was all there. They should have been able to recognize Him. They should have been able to know who He is. This table of showbread. Also there was the table of incense. That table of incense was to burn a special type of incense continually. Christ is that sweet-smelling fragrance unto God. That's the table of incense. And how God designed, God designs that. Burning continually as a sweet-smelling savor to God as he, he smells that. He enjoys that sacrifice and all that's going on. Then you have the lampstand. Go ahead and put the lampstand up if I send it to you. Representing the fact that Christ is the light of the world. That lampstand being the, the menorah. The menorah with seven uh, uh, lights on it. The menorah uh, with, the, with the, the knobs and the buds and the, and the flowers and the fruit, the almonds. That lampstand representing really the resurrection. Every aspect that a, that a, a flower or plant goes through was represented in that light, uh, in that light stand. That menorah was made up of seven different lights, seven being the number uh, or lamps, seven being the number of perfection, representing the Lord Jesus Christ, representing the unity in the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, there was unity. The lamp stand, the menorah, was one light, and it burned constantly. It's interesting. When we get to the book of Revelation, those seven Jewish assemblies that are scattered, that are not in the land, 
each one representing a lampstand. They represent Israel scattered. This represents Israel brought together. But guess what God's going to do in the end time? He's going to bring them back together. So all of these pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is within in the, the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, you have, you, you, you have uh, light. You have life. You have fragrance. You have beauty. All of these things that represent God, that represent the Lord Jesus Christ, when they walk in there, it smells so good. And it represents sustenance. Is here God's going to provide for you. It was a thing of beauty. You step outside that holy place into the court of the Gentiles. It's another thing. The outer court represented death. It represented sacrifice. It represented blood. And there you had the brazen altar that when the priest first came and they offered the, the different sacrifices, whether the prescribed lamb or the prescribed goat or the prescribed ox, whatever the prescribed animal was, you had, as you walked through that door of the tent or the tabernacle and the court, the outside part, you, you had that brazen altar. It was brass. Not gold, but brass. Brass representing judgment. And there's where the slaughter took place. That's where the slaughter took place. And then after the brazen altar and the sacrifice and how the priest and all the tools and utensils that God had given them to use, they were all significant. And then after that, they would walk up to the laver. Walk up to the laver. Now, the laver was really interesting. The laver, do we have the, the here, there's the laver. Do we have the uh, brazen altar? Okay, show that real quick, too. We're almost done. Yeah, there's, there's the brazen altar. There's the priest. Uh, that was the first thing they would come to. That's where the slaughter took place. That's where the blood was collected. Then they would go into the holy place and do their thing. But before they did that, they had to pass the laver. The laver was a big wash bowl. And according to the scripture, it was made from the looking glasses, the looking glass of the women. So significant that they were laying aside their vanity. They were bringing their mirrors. Well, in this case, it was brass that had been shined that they could look to see, oh, how beautiful I am. I mean, how you know what I mean. They would bring their looking glass, their mirrors, and they donated those to make the lever. And the significance of that is that they were setting aside their vanity in order to provide for this wash. Because this is, the priest would be bloody. The priest had, had collected the blood, the ones that were going in. 
and they had to wash themselves. Aaron and his sons had to wash themselves. They had to get the blood off so that they were clean when they came in to, to carry out their duties in the holy place. And the high priest, for sure, when he went into the holy holies once a year. But it was so shiny. And I think the reason it was so shiny is the priest came with a realization of who he was. As he came in to wash, he could see himself. He could examine himself. He could realize who he was. That he was a priest of God about to carry out the duties that God had prescribed and I think it was a time of self-examination. I think there was a reason they could see himself as they washed. He carried out God's purpose, God's plan. In the book of Exodus, our Lord is deliverer. He is the lawgiver. He is their savior. He is their provider. He is all of those things. And here in this dispensation of the grace of God, God offers to be your deliverer. He offers to be your Savior and to be your provider. The tabernacle, it pictures the work of God. It pictures the rest of God. It depicts the presence of God all of those things as you go through the book of Exodus just jump out at you as God declares who he is. Next week we're going to get into Leviticus. In Leviticus, God is the law giver. In Exodus, he delivers his people. He redeems his people. In the book of Leviticus, he tells the redeemed people how they should live. He redeems them, then he instructs them. In the book of Leviticus, he is the lawgiver. And the law that he gives them is not because he wants to be a God that says, no, 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 don't, 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 do, do, do. That's not the reason he gives it. But he wants his people to know him and says, here are my requirements. Here are my expectations. You want to serve me. You want to obey me. Do these things. They can't. But what we can do is trust a loving, merciful God to make the way for us to be saved. During this time, by faith, children of Israel, they would carry out the prescribed sacrifices. But they had to keep doing it every year, every year. And not just every year, that was for the whole nation, but even individually, they had to do it. But oh, folks, we have a Savior. At least I hope you have a Savior this morning who is the Savior. That gave himself once and for all. That we might have eternal life in him. God says my law. You want to know me? Obey.
can't do it. And the glory is, the Lord Jesus Christ, He obeyed the law, He was perfect in the law, and we are in Him. See, God didn't eliminate the law. He fulfilled it. The law it does not done away with. The law can still the law still condemns. But we are in Christ, the one who kept the law perfectly. That's our position. And if you don't know that position, don't you want to know that position? Don't you want to be in that place? You you've already found out you can't keep the law. So by faith, trust the one who did. And you are in him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so very much for loving us the way you do. And we just pray, Father, now that you will bless us as we go our separate ways. Father, as we go to our homes, may you be glorified this week if, as we live our lives for you. Whatever we do, whatever we say, Father, may we do it in such a way to bring glory and honor to you. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Let's stand and be dismissed. As we stand, remind me to remind Tim that I need a battery for this clock. Because it's only 25 after 10. So I got a lot more time to preach. So let's, let's bow, in, bow in prayer at this time. Father, we thank you for loving us in such a marvelous way. Now, Father... We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the joy of studying it. And may you be glorified this week as we depart here. May you be glorified in all that we say and do. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.